cuando desempaques tus regalos, niño de lujosa vecindad, piensa en tantos niños que no saben para qué es la Navidad. Piensa en el chavalo limpiabotas, que su noche buena pasará en una banqueta dura y fría del atrio de catedral. Feliz Navidad, feliz Navidad, en justicia y libertad. Feliz Navidad. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Matt Bernico, uh, a holly jolly Christian podcaster. Uh, I'm Dean Detloff, your unionizing Santa elf. <laughs> Get them all into a big collecting collective parking unit. That's a good idea. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta take down that big boss. Yeah. Speaking of taking down that big boss, Santa Claus. Do you know who really did that? Who did it? Fidel Castro. He did it in 1959. <laughs> Fidel Castro took down the big guy. <laughs> he did. He did what no one else could. Yeah. So this week on the Magnificast, we're going to be talking a lot about Cuba and how Fidel canceled Christmas. <laughs> well, it's a little more complicated than that, but it's pretty interesting just the same. But before we get that far, it's uh, time to let you in on the secret. I mean, it should be pretty obvious by now because we've already talked about Christmas like three times. Um, but anyways, this is the beginning of our new arc, our new Christmas arc. It is Advent, but who cares? We're going to do Christmas anyways because most people <laughs> ignore Advent anyways. Um, that's a bad <laughs> attitude, but that's what I'm rolling with. So yeah, we're starting off here kind of <laughs> getting into the Christmas spirit. So we're talking about Fidel, uh, Cuba, and uh, Christmas in this episode. And then in the coming weeks, we have a few scholars on to talk to us about cultural studies and Christmas, something, uh, a whole field of literature that Dean and I discovered called Christmas studies, which is extremely rad. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole idea here is that we're trying to problematize some of the notions around Christmas, see how it's constructed, how the rhetoric works, how does it function politically and economically, um, how is it racist, how is it not racist, how is it <laughs> all of these things all together, um, how, how does it hold with all these kind of contradictions bound up with inside of it. Um, yeah, I don't know, what else should we say, Dean? Uh, man, I think that uh, the most exciting thing about this arc, to me anyway, is that I super love Christmas a lot. I love everything about it, and um, I also think that it's really complicated to figure out exactly how to feel. Um, Christmas is so weird because it's like the high holy day of the church in one sense. It's a high holy day anyway, but it's also a high holy day of capitalism. Um, you know, there's a real kind of liturgical movement to it. Like if you walk to a store, you can hear all kinds of Christmas music, whether you want to or not. Um, there is this kind of demand that you buy a bunch of stuff that has, you know, probably been made by like not unionized labor for sure. <laughs> um, and you're going to give that as a gift to people that you love and care about. And you're going to watch all your favorite movies about like bourgeois family life, etc. Um, and I think that Christmas is such an interesting time because it is in some ways an interruption of capitalism. And in other ways, it's like a, a necessary feature of it. It's a, a festival of capitalism too. So uh, I don't know. I, I think this is like a good opportunity for us to think through this weird holiday that we're all uh, forced to participate in, <laughs> whether we want to or not, and think about, you know, well, what are some of the good things that remain within Christmas that are worth maybe holding on to or playing up or getting into? And uh, also, why is Christmas the way that it is? How does it function historically? Um, yeah, I think that's 
that's the thing I'm most excited about for the next few weeks. Yeah, me too. Um, cool. Uh, so before we do that, though, uh, we're going to start off uh, this Advent season by opening the very small Advent doors on our Advent podcast calendar and uh, reading the Reddit, the Our Christianity Reddit questions we've stored inside beforehand. So uh, it's like Dean... a it's like the nega version of an Advent calendar because <laughs> instead of getting a cool gift or treat, you just get a very sad anecdote. But like Advent, you are waiting for it to be over. <laughs> cool. Well, um, let's just pop open this first little Advent calendar door here. Are you ready for this one, Dean? Yeah, I'm ready for it. I'm imagining the, your your finger just uh, slowly peeling back that little flap of cardboard. Let's see what's underneath. Yeah, you're hoping it's going to be a Hershey Kiss, but it's not. <laughs> uh, okay, so I have two. Uh, one of them is Christmas themed. One of them is just... Uh, is not themed at all. So here we go. Okay. Uh, this is the first one. Uh, it's called Welcome to the Screwed Up Generation of Liberal Parents and Children, submitted two mm-hmm. days ago by Mario Lover 2000. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the question's not that funny, but Mario Lover 2000 is the funniest thing I've ever read. So, <laughs> uh, so Mario the Lover 2000. to uh, adjudicate the, uh, the liberal family structure. <laughs> That's right. Mario Lover 2000 writes Today's generation of parents and kids is screwed up. There are many ways, I'm sorry, there are way too many liberal children nowadays, and it's often that parent, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it's often the parents' fault for indoctrinating their kids with these false beliefs and messages. Mm -hmm. Many, Many parents tell their kids like, oh, if you marry a woman or a man, it doesn't matter. Nobody's wrong for having whatever religious beliefs they want. I could care less if you're an atheist or a Muslim. Liberal kids, teenagers, and young adults are often the product of screwed up liberal parents. Every parent needs to teach their kids the truth about Jesus and only truth. Who's with me? So, Dean, what do you think about Mario <laughs> Lover's big big thing here? This isn't so much a question as a statement, but are you with them, would you say? Mario Lover. That it's is, that it's is. even more than a statement. It's a, a call to arms. Um, are you with me? I would have to say, no, I'm not. Um, I, too, love Mario, but on this one, I'm not with Mario Lover. Huh, that's weird. I mean, I think that <laughs> I think that too many parents are making their kids liberals, and I think that's a huge problem. But when I say it, it's well, that's different. that's true. Weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's also true that uh, maybe if you marry a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. Sometimes it just doesn't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's wild. Um, I don't know what to do about that, except that uh, I hope that Mario Lover does not get uh, the new Nintendo game under his tree for Christmas, or her tree for Christmas. Yeah, uh, but Pokemon Cold. Yes, that's right. Pokemon coal. Um, that is how Pokemon process their biological waste. They turn it into coal. <laughs> and they put it under homophobes trees. <laughs> uh, great. Yep. All right. We're not with him. We've established that. Um, that's a great first advent uh, reveal. Uh, you okay. said you have a, a, a bonus advent, though. That doesn't usually yeah. happen. And this one's about um, this one's about Christmas in general. So mm-hmm. we're pretty good. Okay. So this is this one's a year old. It's been aging on the shelf since last Christmas. Um, it's a pre- it's a present that someone forgot and found the tree. Um, <laughs> one of okay. those stale candies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ugh, this candy cane, big yuck. All right, uh, here it is from from Crazy Guy Twenty Eight. I like now. I think I I haven't been reading the usernames because I don't want um, anyone to harass these people. On the other hand, <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> They're all very funny usernames. <laughs> okay, serious. I know I'm going to sound crazy, but hear me out. Could Santa Claus be a product of the devil? Okay. (laughs) Crazy guy writes, I know St. Nicholas, but I mean the modern idea of Santa. First, we believe the Bible is true. Jesus talks to the embodiment of evil, a.k.a. the devil. Don't know what that means. So he must also be real. 
Satan is known for being attractive and innocent. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I always think about when I think of Satan, someone who's attractive and innocent. (laughs) That's right. What's more pure than a happy old man who gives, who wants to give up presents and make the whole world happy. It reminds me of that old saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, especially in modern times. Christmas has been so, oh, Christmas has become, has become so commercial with people focusing on material products instead of praising the newborn son of God. Satan is also proud and would likely hide his name as an anagram in something pure. (laughs) I know I sound like a loon, but I just can't shake this feeling that a story so pure and attractive, but distracting from Jesus might not have something so pure behind it. So Dean, um, you rearrange those letters in Mm. Santa. You, You can get Satan out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. so could Santa Claus be a product product of the devil? What do you think? Well, it is true what they say. The road to hell is paved with gift wrap and processed sugar and visions of sugar plums. Uh, it's just a straight shot down the elevator to hell. So probably I have to say probably this is one place that a crazy guy also, um, agrees with our, our subject for today. Fidel Castro, uh, we'll learn more about shortly, but yeah, sure. Santa could be a product of the devil for all I know. Um, and we have crazy guy to thank for, uh, unraveling this mystery. Uh, at least a product of the United States. So not entirely wrong. Yes. <laughs> I should say, um, before we even do this Christmas arc, uh, I have a deep abiding, totally unironic <laughs> love for all the worst parts of Christmas, um, to the point that it bothers my own family who are not communists. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just have to like critique the things you love so much. That's how I view this. So I don't know. Satan, um, probably did make up Santa Claus, but I'm happy to fall for it. I have to say <laughs> Christmas is fun. What can you do? Attractive and innocent. I'm I'm very attracted to it, and it looks so so kind and innocent. Yeah. Well, uh, just gotta keep a, keep an eye out for all the old devil. <laughs> um, all right. Well, <clears throat> let's do it. Let's figure out how Fidel Castro did beat this uh, satanic creation. Uh, if you don't know anything about Cuba, um, well, probably you should quit listening to this podcast. <laughs> Go look that Go up. Read a book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but in 1959, the Cuban Revolution ended, and it inaugurated a, a, a huge kind of wave of pretty rapid social reform. So the official like end of the revolution and the beginning of the liberation of Cuba is in 1959. Um, there had been a long struggle before that, but it's on New Year's Day, 1959, that uh, Che and Fidel and all your faves roll into Havana, and they say, uh, everything's ours now. Um And over that year, there's all kinds of different uh, provisional kind of governmental proclamations trying to rebuild society. But the one of them, at least, that got a lot of traction uh, outside of Cuba was the decision to ban Santa Claus in uh, that year in 1959 and um, also rearrange basically the, the cultural expectations of Christmas. So one big thing that was involved in the restructuring of Cuban society was an attempt to throw off uh, U.S. imperialist interests because those had really controlled so much of Cuba for so long. And so they really wanted to discover what would it mean for Cuba to have a a real moment of cultural self-determination. So that meant rooting out all kinds of uh, U.S. advertising and paraphernalia and that kind of thing. Um, And that also extended to these kinds of cultural events like Christmas. So they had a really kind of coordinated campaign to create a a Cuban Christmas and find out what a Cuban 
Halloween Christmas might look like. Uh, and that included saying no to the big red man himself, Santa Claus, in the favor devil. of the good red man, Fidel Castro. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Matt and I went through and we found a bunch of old newspaper articles uh, about this time and also about later um, because the history of Christmas in Cuba changes pretty dramatically um, once in 1969, so 10 years after this, and then again in 1998 when Pope John Paul II came to visit the country. So we'll get to those in a minute, uh, but let's just start out in 1959. Um, Matt, in all this research, uh, did anything really stick out to you in particular? Yeah, totally. Um, let's see. A lot of a lot of hot takes on this whole Christmas ce- celebration, um, Christmas cancellation <laughs> situation. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't like it. A lot of conservative voices think it's just the worst idea. Um, but in all of that, uh, I did find a small snapshot of just kind of like what it looked like maybe um, early on. So this is from the New York Times in 1959 um, about uh, Christmas in Havana. So I'll just read a little bit here and you can kind of get a, a feeling for like what it was like in 1959, um, kind of post-revolutionary Cuba. Um, or I mean, not quite post, you know, it's kind of like in the throes, but, um, you know, you know what I mean? Okay, cool. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Time is always happening. It's a complicated, <laughs> complicated thing. Okay. Cuba enthusiastically celebrated the holiday season today. People gathered for the traditional Noche Buena Fiesta after midnight mass and to cheer the revolution, which on January 1st will mark the first anniversary of its rule. In thousands of homes of the middle and upper classes, which are being hit hard by the revolutionary government, there was an undercurrent of tension. Some concern existed in the government over a possible attempt at invasion by enemies of the regime of Premier Fidel Castro during the holidays. Yo-oh. Although troops were on on alert, the workers and peasants were trying to make this revolutionary Christmas the greatest celebration ever seen in the island, um, under a heading called Neighborhoods Decorated. Encouraged by the government, the people of Havana have decorated their homes and contributed money to decorate whole districts with lights and palms and banners. Christmas trees this year are Cuban pine, since the importation of trees has been prohibited. They appear in every home, even the most humble. The shopping districts of Havana were crowded as Cubans bought presents and food for the fiesta. Government controls brought prices on such foods as roast pig to within the reach of the low-income families. Banners throughout the city and radio messages urged the people to give thanks to the revolution. Funds have poured in as a result of campaigns by the government and by charitable organizations, and thousands of packages of food have been delivered by the uh, have been delivered to the island's poor. In many municipalities of the interior, the holidays began yesterday with the suspension of all work. Parades, mass meetings, and fiestas are being held throughout the island. And the government contributed to the holiday spirit by granting pardons to many common prisoners. <laughs> so that was a, that's a little bit about Cuba in 1959 and what, um, what Christmas looked like there. I mean, not super different than the United States, but definitely more uh, socialist. <laughs> <laughs> no one's uh no one's granting any prisoners uh freedom here in the united states which is too bad but um it, it just gives you kind of a flavor of like what it was like and um it'll help as we kind of talk through more of um what christmas is about in cuba or what it was about in cuba for castro um just to kind of set that up as something you know that's all it's all happening in the background. Yeah, I think that's a great way into it because a lot of people tried to paint the early kind of Cuban society as uh, 
you know, backwards or going backwards um, and the kind of encroachment of authoritarian or cartoonishly communist rule, um, even though the party was not yet communist at the time, that was kind of the, the writing on the wall. Um, but it's interesting because what you just read comes from the New York Times, famously not exactly a fan of uh, left-wing revolutionary yeah. movements. Um, and even they feel the need to at least describe this as a, you know, a pretty like celebratory mood or moment. Um, we mentioned earlier that that, the context for all this also has a lot to do with a sort of anti-imperialist um, thrust to uh, what's going on in, in Cuba. And I think what's so fascinating is uh, this comes through even in, in that piece. You said like uh, Christmas trees are Cuban pines because the importation of trees has been prohibited. Um, that was one big thing. Uh, they don't mention this in this article, but in a few other places, there is a lot of talk about how uh, Christmas cards should reflect um, Cuban scenes and not like scenes of American bourgeois kind of family life. Um, and then, you know, most famously, as we had mentioned, uh, Santa Claus was not allowed to appear in Cuban Christmas because Santa was seen as a, an agent of imperialism or a foreigner coming to deliver all kinds of, you know, charity or gifts to the Cuban people, which is uh, not what you want if you're trying to build a, a populace that, you know, relies on itself and is trying to get rid of those influences. Um Matt, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people will go on in some of the other pieces that we read to kind of, um, I don't know, try to disparage like what's going on in Cuba as like a just a big dictator, you know, trying to take over the country and, and enforce some like ideas they don't want on them. But at the same time, I mean, you have to think about the the situation that Cuba is in. It's 90, 90 miles, you know, from America, from the United States, and um, <laughs> you know, like anti-imperialism is really important because they have to set the sort of tone of what their revolution will be. And uh, if you don't uh, start with the big capitalist holidays like Christmas, uh, you know, there's a chance that you'll be overrun ideologically, and that's not what you want. Yeah, I think it's worth noting too that Christmas in the United States, in many respects, is such a, a constructed holiday. And it's relatively recent in terms of like the world, you know, historical mm -hmm. stage that people really tie Christmas to this excess of consumerism and uh, feelings of profound nostalgia, uh, all these kinds of things that do make Christmas so fun and so dangerous at the same time. Um, I mean, we'll talk more about that. We're going to interview a few different scholars about Christmas in the next few weeks just to figure out what the heck Christmas is. Uh, but I think it's really interesting to ban Santa as a, a symbol of all of that kind of stuff without banning Christmas itself. Um, another thing that was interesting is that they the government proposed that uh, there's no reason that Cubans should really be all that upset about Santa Claus being banned anyway because uh, they already celebrate gift-giving on the Epiphany um, January 5th and 6th rather than uh, Christmas Day. And that is true of, of many countries in Latin America um, and is also like factually true that 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 holiday historically tended to be more of a kind of gift giving moment than Christmas. So in that sense, too, it's kind of like uh, Cuba, the government at this moment is really just sort of reminding Cubans that they've already got the this time set aside for gift giving. We don't have to conflate it with, you know, what the U.S. is trying to do or whatever. And it's true that Santa Claus is not completely an invention by like, you know, capitalist co uh, companies, but in many respects kind of is like he's a famous Coca-Cola mascot. There's a really long, interesting history around that. Um, and I don't know, I find it really fascinating that uh, in order to get rid of that imperialist kind of hangover in Cuban society, they were trying to get rid of Santa, but also to build up these other kinds of Cuban holidays like uh, gift giving around the epiphany. 
Yeah, man, I'd be so interested to know like how like Santa gets imported into Latin American countries to begin with and Caribbean countries. Uh, I, I imagine that's an ad campaign. Yeah, for sure. That's a good question. <laughs> I also know in many places um, <laughs> the the big star of the gift giving even on Christmas isn't Santa, but is uh, the infant Christ child who mm. brings stuff around. And Santa is like a, I don't know, a weird helper that sort of just shows up. Um <laughs> So even in, you know, non-socialist countries, there are other cultural traditions that displace Santa Claus as the the main event, Um, which is weird if you're from a place like the U.S. or maybe Canada where Santa is the person you go see at the mall and that's that. Right. Um, But yeah, important to recognize there's a certain kind of even inherited racist (laughs) narrative around like getting so worked up about Santa Claus being banned. Yeah, totally. And in, in some Latin American countries, too, it's it's not Santa Claus or maybe Jesus. It's the wise men who are bringing presents. Right. That's in the bible right right and that's true of epiphany that's what's celebrated at that time um well matt i did find a very good character though that was invented to uh combat the influence of santa claus it seems to me that he didn't quite take off uh but i do wish that he did um and this is a character invented in 1959 called don feliciano and here's another article from the new york times and just want to find out how this strikes you Uh so the article says this uh i love it so much The Cuban Revolution has produced a new figure to replace the undesirable foreigner Santa Claus in Cuba's Christmas. He is Don Feliciano, or Mr. Happiness. Don Feliciano is a typical Cuban countryman of the colonial days. He has a long, drooping mustache and a beard divided into two thin strands. He wears a gallabera, or coat-like shirt, a typical Cuban straw hat, uh turned up in front and baggy trousers and leggings um tom feliciano uh do you think he's a great candidate for the replacement of santa claus uh is he the champion that we need to defeat santa once and for all oh yeah i gotta get don feliciano back in our lives um (laughs) in a in another explanation of don feliciano it says that his uh coat like shirt is actually just like a hawaiian like a tropical shirt which i love so much Oh, that is awesome. I love that. The, a real a real, uh, a real communist Margaritaville kind of moment. <laughs> Kami Bahama. Kami Bahama. <laughs> oh, probably, probably not the best because it's not the Bahamas, but oh boy, do I love Don Feliciano. Yeah, Don Feliciano is very funny. I mean, uh, a great stand-in for Santa Claus. He's Mr. Happiness. He's here to make you happy. He does have a, a beard and... <laughs> Just some, just a, just a, a countryman. I love him. I love Don Feliciano. I, I do love also that they did keep the facial hair, although yeah. they gave it their own twist. So instead of having a huge bushy beard, he has two thin strands as a beard and a drooping mustache. That's great. <laughs> it is great. I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense though. I mean, you have you have this very this like icon of um, consumer capitalism in Santa Claus, and you just need to make someone else who fills that sort of spot for this like one particular place and. Right. They did it. I mean, you know, make them look (laughs) nearly identical, but wearing like a tropical shirt. It's great. (laughs) You know, I mean, um, this is sort of an embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. I don't know. This is a story about my personal life. But uh, (laughs) my wife and I, we have a son and uh, we don't we're not big fans of Santa Claus either because of all the capitalist connotations and uh, kind of I don't remember how it started. But uh, we told our son instead of Santa Claus, the Christmas unicorn comes and he brings you presents because it's from it's from a (laughs) Stephen Stevens song. (laughs) So we do Stephen Stevens Christmas over here uh, with the Christmas unicorn. Yeah. 
That sounds pretty good. So you got to get Santa um, out one way or another. I'm just, you, you bring, let a unicorn into your house, let Don Feliciano into your house. I don't care. The wise men for sure. But uh, just get, just get Santa Claus out of there. Yeah, we need a proliferation of potentially revolutionary substitutes for Santa Claus. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> we're announcing it now the Magnificast uh, art competition. You, <laughs> the, the best design for Santa Claus substitute wins a, a t-shirt and some stickers. Comrade Nicholas. Executive decision. <laughs> That's right. Uh, unfortunately, we could not find any pictures of Don Feliciano on Google. Um, I mean, we looked for 10 minutes, so maybe they're out there. <laughs> but um, tragically, could not find them. So if you do have a photo or can find a photo of Don Feliciano, please send them to us via Twitter. I would love to see what he looks like. Okay, well, you might be wondering um, what else is going on with this whole big Christmas thing. So we got Don Feliciano. This is 1959. It's all happening. But then some other stuff happens in 1969. Like I said earlier, time just keeps happening. never stops. Crazy. (laughs) So uh, in 1969, um, I don't know, Dean, why don't you talk about it? I think that you're more of the historical expert here than I am. Sure. Uh, 1969 is a really pivotal year for Cuban history because in 1970, there's a, a coordinated campaign um, I mean, it comes comes across 69 and then into 70, but a campaign to produce 10 million tons of sugar. Um, it's a, a huge, gigantic mobilization of every sector of Cuban society, very costly, um, just a massive kind of project of social engineering. Uh, they wanted to produce all the all the sugar to really boost the economy, and uh, they were kind of, I mean, this is like relatively a, a pretty stable time of like, Cuba trying to figure out how to to move itself forward, and this is going to be the answer. Um, it was like very involved. People came from other countries to help during the campaign. If you talk to like super old members of communist parties, um, some of them may have been in Cuba for that uh, campaign in particular. Um, but everyone from students to factory workers to people in the armed forces had to cut sugarcane in the fields. Um, so it was incredibly. Uh, I don't know, just like a big project. Uh, in It took over all of all of Cuba for a while. Um, for what it's worth, the campaign did ultimately fail, which is very tragic. It's a really sad story. It was a pretty big blow to Cuban morale. But um, yeah, it's like an extremely pivotal, again, year. So in 1969, 10 years after what we were just talking about, uh, there's another big Christmas moment, uh, which is actually the banning of christmas as a public holiday so it's important to figure out what this does and doesn't mean because uh if you read like time magazine wrote some stuff about it and then a number of newspapers wrote stuff about it and the thing the kind of line that you see over and over is that uh fidel bans christmas entirely or you're not allowed to celebrate christmas or something uh that is not true um christmas was was a, not a public holiday, which meant that you had to go to work. So you had to go cut sugarcane, which, yes, nobody wants to do on Christmas. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it either. Um, but you had to uh, in Cuba at that time. But nobody was banned from going to, say, like Midnight Mass or Christmas Day Mass. Um, those all functioned still at that time just fine as, you know, another day in the church calendar, just like most people probably don't go out of their way to go to church on, like, the Epiphany or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, very important liturgical day, but it's not a public holiday uh so it had been a public holiday up until then but they had to suspend it that year and then it remained suspended for decades after that um so again christmas not exactly banned uh but also not a public holiday a big a big shift and the proposal was also that all the kind of 
big usual celebrations that coincide with Christmas culturally would be moved to the 26th of July, which is the anniversary of the 26th of July movement, the big revolutionary holiday in Cuba. So the proposal was kind of a compromise. It was, we know this is a huge bummer and it sucks um, to work on Christmas, but we're going to move all that stuff to the day of the revolution. And it's going to be all the sweeter as a day of celebration because we'll have done all this really hard work and uh, then we'll celebrate all these things at once. So, as you can imagine, uh, that story didn't exactly get told in a nuanced way <laughs> in Western media, to say the least. And we did find a few uh, kind of conservative complaints right. about it. Um, so, yeah, Matt, is there one that really sticks out to you in particular? Yeah, well, uh, before, uh, okay, I want to be very careful about reading conservative viewpoints on the show just because uh, <laughs> I don't like them. So, uh, yeah. before I read the conservative viewpoint, I want to read uh, a not conservative one. Um, so this is a quote from Ernesto Cardinal, uh, a book he wrote about in Cuba. Is that okay if I read this part, or did you want to? Yeah, definitely. I, I should say this quote, I think, is from 1971 or uh, 71. Okay. Of the two. Well, it's a reflection of his time in Cuba. Yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is Ernesto Cardinal. I told my friends that I approved of the shift of Christmas to the 26th of July, the anniversary of the Cuban Revolution, even though many Catholics thought of it as a profanation. The primitive church celebrated the birth of Christ on the 6th of January, and the feast was later moved to the 25th of December because on that date the Romans celebrated the birth of the Son. Wasn't it better to celebrate the birth of Jesus on the birthday of a revolution rather than on the birthday of the Son? Good point. <laughs> Good point, Ernesto Cardinal. I agree. <laughs> okay, so that's Ernesto Cardinal's uh, sort of after-the-fact reflection on moving Christmas. Uh, here's one that's less positive. <laughs> this is um, uh, written by, I don't know, some person named Arthur Hopp uh, in the Atlanta Constitution in 1969. So this is like right when it did happen, um, or like when it was announced on November in November. Um, so the article is titled, Fidel Kidnaps Christmas. Great. <laughs> 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 not pulling any punches here um okay the article itself is actually surprisingly it's just actually really strange the tone of it is like um very tongue-in-cheek and i'll give you an example uh okay so uh it starts fidel castro in as fiendish a plot to destroy america as any in years has postponed christmas until next july it is nothing sacred mr castro's avowed <laughs> purpose was to allow the cubans to enjoy the christmas holidays by getting in the sugar crop but the real intent of this sinister, devious mastermind is obviously to wreck our economy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, so it goes on to make this kind of like weird argument that's, uh, like I said, very tongue-in-cheek. I'll only read a little bit more here so you can kind of get a feel for the vibe of this article. When word of the Fidel Castro movable Christmas plan gets around, a lot of supposedly loyal Americans are going to fall into his intricate trap. If President Roosevelt could switch Thanksgiving around to suit the merchants, they'll say thoughtfully, why can't President Nixon switch Christmas around to suit us shoppers? So we can expect a grassroots drive to transfer Christmas to a more convenient time of the year. Well and good, but here's the commie fly in the American applesauce. <laughs> no two Americans can agree on which day would be best. So the rest of the <laughs> The rest of the article goes on just to like like um, proposing all these weird hypothetical people that do not exist that like, you know, well, some people are going to want on this day and some people are going to want on this day and we'll have to celebrate Christmas when 
when you know just these people randomly want to and like you know if you ask a little kid when they want to celebrate christmas they're gonna say every day and that would just be a disaster so it's just like this weird this weird article about how fidel castro is trying to destroy our economy by like subtly introducing this this plan i don't know if he it's hard to tell if it's very serious or not because it's just such a silly thing um but it is uh for sure like weird conservative hand-wringing about something fidel castro probably was not thinking about Um, I do love also the very end of this article ends on a note that says um, uh, if we can agree the economy saved the conservative curmudgeons club has just issued a press release calling on all patriotic Americans to reject this red plot and suffer through Christmases on December 25th (laughs) like our forefathers at Valley Forge right Uh, I love that I mean it's satirical but again the the argument comes down to uh, we all hate Christmas but we better suck it up (laughs) Which is, like, the ultimate conservative argumentative trope of, like, of course we know that it's bad, but that's exactly why we need it. Man, Western society, it's done so much for the world. We love it, except we do suffer through every bit of it. (laughs) Conservatism is Um, a very weird thing. (laughs) Intentionally masochistic, that's how it works. Um, Yeah, I love, though, that, like, all right, so this guy's kind of approach is, you know, to say that uh, if Christmas is movable, then people will just move it to whatever they want, and then we'll never agree on where it ought to go. And, like, you know, the the subtle critique here is, again, like, painting Castro as a kind of, like, all-important sovereign who just, like, willfully makes decisions Mm -hmm. that are largely irrelevant. Um, He says, for the convenience of merchants, which is a bizarre way of putting it, but whatever. Um, What's interesting, though, is, contrasting that with Ernesto Cardinal because <laughs> Cardinal's whole argument is, well, the church already arbitrarily moved Christmas to mm-hmm. the 25th of uh, December because of uh, the Roman celebration of the sun. So like, why don't we arbitrarily move it to a day that actually seems to coincide better with like the Christmas story, which I think is pretty great. Yeah, it is pretty great. I mean, I don't know. Holidays are made up. I mean, they're constructed as it is. So why not make them more meaningful rather than less? Why not? Um, <laughs> I, I do want to say before we move on to uh, the next moment of Christmas in Cuba. Yeah. I just, uh, I did search on Wikipedia for this guy, Arthur Hop or Hope or Hoppy, however you say it. And uh, it says here, many columns of his featured whimsical characters such as expert in all things, Homer T. Pettibone and a presidential candidate named Nobody. <laughs> so just a real master of uh, literary craft, this guy. Uh, I, want, I want to get into the... <laughs> Oh my God! I want to get into the Arthur Hop uh, cinematic universe. I want to get in there with <laughs> President Nobody. He's ruling the country with an iron fist. That's right. Homer T. Pettibone is going to come and liberate us all, <laughs> so that we can have Christmas on the day that we hate, <laughs> just like God intended. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to the next big moment in uh, this history, which is 1998. Um, John Paul II came to visit Cuba, which was an extremely significant event. And uh, Castro announced that Christmas would be back as a public holiday during that year. And then it stuck. Um, So it was initially supposed to be just for 1998. um, But ever since then, they have had a a public holiday on Christmas. Um, Also, some fun trivia. When Pope Benedict visited Cuba later on, um, he also asked that they make Good Friday a public holiday. And now it is. So anyway, kind of a weird thing. But yeah, uh, Christmas came back in 98. And it's interesting to follow it because uh, the the way that Christmas operates in Cuba is like hard to piece together, I guess, now for especially people who 
I don't know, like don't get it or don't have a kind of historical frame. And so we pulled out a couple of uh, articles that are actually more recent, like within the last, um, I don't know, 20 years, 20 years. And then the last like three or four years or five years, I guess. Um, So kind of trying to figure out like, well, how did that transform Christmas over time? So I'll read the first one here. Uh, This is from 2002 uh from a the dayton daily news um and it just says this castro's government never officially outlawed religion but his regime made it clear that those who attended church would not be counted as good communists more than 100 priests were expelled in the early 60s while religious schools were shuttered the first class of new would-be priests after the revolution wasn't allowed to begin training until 1970 and today there are only about 300 priests working in a nation of 11 million Uh, The article goes on to talk about how Christmas is just kind of like not a big deal in Mm -hmm. Cuba anymore, and it pins the blame on this Christmas ban. Um, A couple things to put together here. We've talked about Castro and religion in Cuba a long time ago, um, a couple of times actually, but especially in our episode on Fidel and religion. Uh, The one thing that this obviously biased paragraph gets kind of right is that it is true that you couldn't really go to church and be like a, a party member communist. Um, for a long time in Cuba. That was true, although that changed. Um, And there are reports from certain, like, pretty, you know, average Cuban folks that say that uh, being in Cuba, sometimes people felt um, especially, like, under suspicion if they went to church or they just felt like it wasn't a socially acceptable thing to do. Um, But the other bizarre thing about this is that Cuban society wasn't as thickly Catholic as many other Latin American and Caribbean Mm -hmm. societies before the revolution. So what this paragraph does is it it kind of, it tries to use the... uh, sort of not extremely open environment to Christianity to then make a bigger point about how surprising it is that there's, you know, like he says, only 300 priests working in a nation of 11 million. Um, but also, uh, not all 11 million of those people are Catholic. So, (laughs) um, anyway, all that to say, uh, the Christmas ban does appear to have had a pretty significant, um, like cooling effect on people's excitement about Christmas for, for one reason or another. Right. Um, but Western journalists kind of have a hard time picking it up. Yeah, totally. And there's, I mean, there's another counter story to this too, or counter narrative, right? Like the, the, the more than a hundred priests that were expelled in the sixties, it's not like they were expelled because they were priests. Because right. Not all right. of them were expelled, right? It's because they were like, <laughs> like fascist sympathizers. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I mean, okay. I, I guess, um, the, what you said is right. It helps kind of contextualize everything, but it's not like the persecution was necessarily because they were people of faith, but because they had other political sort of affiliations. Uh, yeah, you know, that's right. It's not like, um, it's not like they're super kind to Christians, like you said, but it's not only because of their like religious faith or something. I, I it seems just like an important clarification too, because, um, you know, uh, like religion is like a huge way that like the history of Cuba is weaponized to people in the United States. And I don't think that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right about that. And it's worth pointing out too, that there are lots of Catholics who were revolutionaries, um, and still are revolutionaries in, in Cuban society. And, you know, there's, there's not a big, like necessarily like gap between them. Um, you know, you can read Ernesto Cardinal's book in Cuba, again, is such a great one because it's basically like a documentary of his own or like a diary of his own visit to the island. And he meets with loads of Catholics. He celebrates mass and he's really kind of invested in that. In 1970 and 71, which is when he took the trips, 
um, were like really big kind of uh, moments in Cuban society since the revolution had kind of found its feet, but it also, you know, wasn't the end of the Cold War or anything yet. So yeah, totally. anyway, you can read a lot more about it there. Yeah, it's complicated, but uh, an important history. Or uh, we did the episode on Dorothy Day in Cuba, too, where a lot of that comes out. So yeah, worth going back to listen to that. That's right. Okay, well, that was in 2002. This was in 2014 in an article called In Once Atheist Cuba, A Quiet Holy Day, Cuban Habits Still Reflect Former President Fidel Castro's Nearly Three-Decade Ban on Christmas with Any Celebration Subdued. Oh my gosh, this is a long title. Um, This is from New York Times. (laughs) Or no, I'm sorry, from Wall Street Journal. Whoops. Okay. Um, Here we go. Indeed, former President Fidel Castro erased Christmas from the calendar in 1969, saying the festivities interfered with the vital sugar harvest. It was reinstated in 1998 after a historic visit by Pope John Paul II. Today, it is officially a holiday with most offices and businesses closed, but Cuban habits still reflect the nearly three-decade ban. Um, This is a quote. I would say many of the people here don't really know what Christmas is or that it is about the birth of Jesus Christ, says Lazaro Osas, a (laughs) Protestant pastor. That's all been erased. And Santa Claus and all that stuff, there's definitely none of that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I find that kind of hard to believe that people wouldn't know that Christmas is about Jesus or something like that. I mean, while the people aren't like, you know, um, super religious because of different circumstances, I doubt that is probably strongly the case. But... Um, a Protestant pastor probably le- uh, needs some investigation in that in that uh, bit there, <laughs> but you can see how um, just the same like the the ban on Christmas and sort of the reworking of Christmas into different times of the year had an effect where um, Christmas is not as much as a religious holiday um, as it is in the United States, even though in the United States it's religious but kind of contestedly so. Um, and that, you know, it's just had a lasting effect. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it's, I mean, you're definitely right to problematize this, uh, random Protestant pastor being quoted. (laughs) We, we don't know anything about him, which is always bizarre, especially in the wall street journal. Um, you know, they're not known for their, their religious reporting. (laughs) Yes. Or, or their, uh, objective look at (laughs) a particular country like Cuba. Um, but yeah, you know, Protestants obviously have a, a long history in Latin America and uh, the Caribbean, and especially in Cuba, of also being a sort of vanguard of the counter-revolution. Um, and whatever, like, who knows what, what this guy's political persuasion is. But the idea that, like, uh, nobody in, in Cuba knows what Christmas is really about or that it's the birth of Jesus Christ, like, this is the same thing that your weird uncle is going to say <laughs> yeah. on Christmas. <laughs> like, this isn't a particularly informed perspective. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, like... The idea that Cuban habits uh, reflect that ban is, you know, who knows? Like, I've never been to Cuba during Christmas, but, like, uh, I could definitely see that happening. Um, It's worth kind of mentioning, too, that uh, people's religious identification did go down during the revolution, not necessarily because of uh, persecution, although, who knows? If you talk to people, maybe they'll say that, but, like, also because some people just stopped believing in Christianity, (laughs) Uh, and that's fine. (laughs) Like, that's fair. Uh, And it has been growing. Christianity has been growing in Cuba in the last uh, few years. Um, But again, like, if you expect Cuba to be the same kind of celebratory Christian country as a place like whatever, Brazil or or Colombia or something like that, you're just kind of really problematizing um, or you're conflating all Latin American societies and the religious landscapes there in a really uh, bad way that you shouldn't do. Um, So in that sense, I wonder too how much of this uh, way of putting it is also like uh, 
Um, just misunderstanding again how the demographics and history of Cuba operate. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, overall, this is like a really interesting story about how, you know, um, a socialist government right after a revolution tried to change the cultural landscape of the country. And they definitely did that. Um, I think it'd be easy to say, you know, like it'd be easy to to kind of come from a conservative point of view and just be like, well, you know, this is so horrible. They've outlawed Christmas. It's, you know, Fidel beat up Santa Claus and he doesn't want people to know about baby Jesus or whatever. But like at the same time, uh, I mean, Christmas, like you said, Dean is like a construction is a huge cultural construction that is not independent of political and economic forces. I mean, you know, in the United States, <laughs> just like just like your your cranky uncle would probably say too, like, you know, uh, Christmas is not it's not so much as a religious holiday as it should be. You know, it's a big Charlie Brown moment. What's this? What's the real reason for the season altogether? Right. And, you know, it's, it's all too commercial. Some some might say your Charlie Brown uncle. <laughs> So I guess all I'm trying to say here is that like, (laughs) not your Charlie Brown uncle, but like mine, Um, (laughs) that like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Fidel Castro did a thing. It had lasting effects. Uh, There are reasons that that, you know, they treated Christmas like they did. But at the same time, like um, this type of cultural engineering is not uh, it's not missing from the United States. Like we've done it here, too, just in different ways for different motivations. Yeah. And again, it's like. the ability for someone to go to church on Christmas or Christmas Eve was never outlawed by Cuba or by Fidel Castro. And it's worth noting that like lots of people have to work on Christmas anyway in a capitalist country, but nobody would suggest that Christmas has been banned in the United States just Mm -hmm. because it's not a public holiday for people who work at like a movie theater or like a fast food place. Uh, And I think that is also a a good way of looking at this too, that um, by not making Christmas a public holiday, it's not banning Christmas. It's just saying that everybody has to go to work on Christmas, which again, I wouldn't want to do it either. It does suck. Uh, but also, I had to do it <laughs> in my life, and it also sucked in a capitalist country. So, you know, uh, the banning of Christmas narrative is one that also we should pretty uh, intentionally problematize, too. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Christmas in some other countries, especially the U.S., uh, and maybe to a lesser extent Canada, in the next few episodes. Um, We talked about Cuba and kind of opened this up basically to problematize the idea of Christmas altogether, I think, and make us start thinking some political uh, in political directions about Christmas and what it is and what it means and doesn't mean, those kinds of things. But yeah, we'll turn back to how it shows up in capitalist countries and how it has shown up historically over the next, I guess, three or so weeks. Um, So we'll talk to a few different scholars who uh, make Christmas their whole area of investigation. It's wild. There's a whole thing called uh, Christmas studies. There's a lot of critical literature out there we didn't know about until a few months ago, and we're pretty excited to share it with some folks. Um, Matt, uh, any kind of um, parting comments about uh, the Cuban situation or the Christmas arc or how we're going to do our very best to discover the reason for the season this year? Uh, we're going to do all of that. We're going to do our very best. We're going to make Don Feliciano proud. Um, we're going to get the Christmas <laughs> unicorn in here. We're going to kick Santa's butt until he lets those dang elves unionize. Um, we're doing it all. So it's going to be a good arc. Uh, all right. Well, until then, happy Advent. And uh, we'll be ruining that Advent by talking about Christmas every week until <laughs> the first week of New Year's, I guess. Um, after which, we'll, we'll bring John Thornton back to uh, find out what the theme for 2020 will be. So till then, um, enjoy these, uh, 
radical Christmas times. <laughs> and uh, remember to uh, say your prayers, and Don Feliciano is uh, always watching. <laughs> oh, that's good. Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can find us on Patreon and give us some, some of that money, that Christmas cash that your grandma gave to you in a card uh, at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. Or, or maybe <laughs> even if, maybe not, maybe you could uh, subscri- subscribe to the Magnificast on Patreon for someone else and uh, give it to them as a present from old Don Fusiano. Or none of that. None of that's fine, too. I don't know. Whatever. You can also follow us on Twitter. Twitter.com slash Magnificast. We have a Facebook group that's been growing, and people have been joining it, and I don't know what to do with it still. Um, Yep. So you can join us there. Uh, Cool. The intro music is by Amaria Armstrong. The outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. All right. See you next week. Church in the morning. Church in the morning. Souls alive. Heaven come to earth, and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no damn between us and our Lord Jackson, keep your hoods up Keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, keep your hoods up Where you keep your hoods up and you stay up late Oh, don't mind a cold night But we might mind if you leave too soon So come on now, it's still early